Uh, we're going to actually put your ribbon, a bookmarker, or something there in 1 Thessalonians 5. And then we're going to actually start in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21. So 1 Thessalonians 5. And then, but we're going to start in John uh, chapter 21. We're actually going to be all over the New Testament this morning. Um, so uh, the, the verses that <clears throat> are outside of 1 Thessalonians 5 and John 21 will be projecting for you. So don't, you know, don't feel like you have to flip back and forth because we're going to hit a lot of verses this morning. <clears throat> In the New Testament, there are two, basically there are two main characters other than Jesus uh, in the New Testament. That would, at least in my opinion, that would be uh, Paul and Peter. Those are the two main characters, I think, in the New Testament, um, other than, obviously, our Lord Jesus Christ, which um, is kind of obvious. But Paul was a persecutor in the early church. Paul... Paul <clears throat> was responsible for the death of many believers in the early church. Uh, he was quite the character, if you would. Um, uh, <clears throat> the first recorded uh, uh, I just lost it. Martyr, that, that's the word. Uh, the first recorded martyr, in Scripture is in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, a guy named Stephen. Uh, Stephen was martyred for the faith. And uh, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, it says, and, uh, and cast him out of the city, that being Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, those of us that have been saved for a while know the New Testament, know that later um, God changes Saul's name to Paul, the Apostle Paul. So here, here we see that, that the Apostle Paul was the instigator or the primary person in the stoning of Stephen. Uh, not a nice guy, to say the least. But Paul... It doesn't even get saved until Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus where he encounters the Lord. <clears throat> Peter, on the other hand, was one of the original apostles. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, uh, as Jesus was just starting his what we call his public ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> Peter was the apostle that preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, <clears throat> now I'm fast forwarding here, but I have a reason for this, okay? So Peter is the one who 
God used to preach really the the first sermon, if you would, of the New Testament uh, uh, after the crucifixion. So a, a lot of theologians believe that this is the start of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 2 in verse 37. Now when they heard this, that this is the, the crowd at Pentecost. So now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, men and, and brethren, what shall we do? And in verse 41, he, they go on to explain. Uh, then they gladly received uh, his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So God uses Peter in, a, in an incredible way in the New Testament. That's why I believe that Paul and Peter are the main two characters in the New Testament. Now, Peter, here on the day of Pentecost, preaches a sermon. God uses supernatural tongues to be able to reach the, the different nations of, of Jews represented there. And 3,000 people are saved on the, very, on the very first sermon Peter preaches. Peter was instrumental in establishing the early church. But Peter was also a great disappointment. At the Last Supper, just before Jesus was to go to the cross and give his life for your sins and for mine, Peter has an interesting exchange with the Lord. In John chapter 13, verses 37 and 38, it says, And Peter said unto him, Lord, why uh, cannot I follow thee now? He says, I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And now that Jesus, Peter, Peter, and this is important, now get this, because at the Last Supper, Jesus has washed their feet, and Jesus is getting ready to leave, and Peter sobbed and says, I want to go with you. He says, I will die for you. And Jesus looks at him and said, really? He said, before the night's over, you'll deny me three times. Later that night, while Jesus is being questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest, Jesus' prophecy comes true. In John chapter 18, verse 25 to 27, it says, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said uh, therefore unto him, Art not thou also of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter had cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? You think the guy who Peter cut off his ear would recognize Peter? I would. And Peter then denied again. And immediately the cock crowed. 
Luke adds a different perspective to this story. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 60 to 62, it says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately when he uh, yet spake, the cock crow, and the Lord turned and looked unto Peter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Standing there, having just said those very words, looking and making eye contact with the Lord. The guilt it had to have been overwhelming. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and whipped bitterly. I can just imagine Peter just sobbing, remembering the words of Jesus, making eye contact with him, and just feeling about as low as low can be. He had just a few hours earlier bragged to the Lord, I not only will I not deny thee, but I would die for you. Again, I want you to think about the guilt and the heavy heart that had to have been taking place in the life of Paul at that moment. Jesus would be crucified. And from the day of the crucifixion to the day of Pentecost, where Peter preached his first sermon, is 50 days. 50 days, less than two months, a a transformation takes place in the life of Peter. Peter went from being a totally defeated person to being a bold preacher in 50 days. As I thought about this question, or, well, not about the question, about, about this event, I, I thought of a question. What happened in the, those 50 days that transformed Peter from being a defeated person to a bold preacher. What happened? I believe the answer to that is found in John chapter 21. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe it is found in John chapter 21. John chapter 21 starts with Peter leading the other disciples astray. Look at uh, John chapter 21 in in verse 3. And Simon Peter said unto them, I go go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. uh, And that night they caught what? Nothing. 
So, so Peter, they, now, now <clears throat> we have to, in order to answer this question, we have to draw a conclusion. Now, do you think Peter, at John chapter one, uh, 21 and verse 3, is still discouraged? I believe he is. Because he had already seen Christ in the flesh. The, the, the resurrection had taken place. And he had already seen probably multiple times the Lord in the flesh. And, and, and what does Peter say? In, in essence, he's like, he's like, guys, I don't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. I mean, isn't that what you do when you get frustrated? You go fishing. Well, for those of you that don't fish, you do whatever you do to get away. You, you go to your happy place. And for a, a fisherman, that's fishing. Peter not only goes fishing, but he takes the other guys with him. And, and, and it's not surprising they don't catch a thing. The next morning, as they're getting ready to come in discouraged again, there's a man standing on the shore, and he, and he yells at him. He says, hey, throw your net on the other side. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not really a fisherman, okay, just saying. But if I wasn't catching anything on one side of the, my, my boat, I think I would naturally try the other side. But apparently they didn't. And he says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And those of you that are familiar with the story know that um, they caught so many fish that it almost sank the boat. Needless to say, they caught fish. In verse 6, look at verse 6. And he said unto them, cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and ye <clears throat> uh, shall find. And they cast therefore... And now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciples, the, excuse me, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, let, let me stop right there. By the way, whenever you see that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's always referring to John. He's the author of this book. And he never wanted to really name himself. So that's why he always puts that little phrase in there. Just a little side note for you. <clears throat> uh, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. See, Peter didn't even recognize, nobody even recognized it until after the miracle. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat uh, unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And he, and he swam to shore. Jesus then makes, I think, an interesting but very compelling invitation to all of the disciples. In verse 12, Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. Jesus, he yells out, he says, hey guys, throw your net on the, on the, on the other side of the boat. I, I, he says, I guarantee you'll catch some fish. They, they catch the fish. They, Jesus, uh, uh, John recognizes who, who Jesus is. 
tells Peter. Peter jumps in the water, <clears throat> swims to the shore, and then Jesus invites them all to come and dine. Now, what's the next thing Jesus does? Jesus takes Peter aside and he starts lecturing Peter about how he was a loser and how he made the mistake of, of denying him three times. And he, and he starts to ridicule him. Isn't that what happens? No, that's not what happens. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, who, who, now all of the disciples are there. But who is, who is Jesus talking to? Peter. Jesus said unto said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, my uh, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, And he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto the Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Question. What did Jesus do? Jesus showed Peter compassion. Jesus knows all things. Peter even acknowledged that he knows all things. And he knew that Peter was still hurting inside for what he had done. But yet he showed him compassion. Over the last few weeks and the few more weeks, we've been looking at the 22 commandments that Paul gives us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So far we've seen uh, to be an encourager, uh, to be a builder, to be aware, to be a safeguard, to be at peace, and to be a mentor. This morning we're going to look at a couple more commandments. Turn over now to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. In verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your love. 
And Lord, as we uh, look at your word this morning, we ask that you would give us wisdom. And Lord, help us. Help us, dear God, to be more like you in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Commandment number seven, be compassionate. Be compassionate. Look back at verse 14. It says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And we talked about that last week, about being a mentor. This morning, we're going to talk about comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the feeble-minded. Now, this seventh commandment that Paul gives us is often misunderstood because in 21st century English, we don't understand what the word feeble-minded really means. Oftentimes we think that this word feeble-minded has to do with somebody who has a mental issue of some sort or another. And to just be kind and, and patient and compassionate to, to those that are, are, are mentally struggling. That, that's not what this word means. It literally means a person who is faint-hearted or someone who is ready to quit. Now, I have a question for you. In John chapter 21, in verse 3, do you think John and many of the other disciples were ready to quit? I do. They were discouraged. They didn't understand everything that was going on. The Holy Spirit had not come to them yet. So they, they were struggling with a lot of things. And you know Jesus would appear and then he would disappear and, and all of these things. And they were struggling with all of it. And I believe with all of my heart, Peter and many of the other disciples were ready to quit. And that is the exact type of person that I believe Paul, oof, I got too many P's going on here, that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says comfort the feeble-minded, those that are ready to quit. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to quit? We all have. But I can almost guarantee many of you did not quit because somebody showed compassion in your life. Somebody came alongside you and showed you the compassion that you needed in your life at that particular moment to just keep going. The word comfort that, that Paul uses here in verse 14 is a, is a in, in, the, in the Greek, it's a compound word. And those of you that don't know what a compound word is, two words put together to make one word. The first, in Greek it is paramuthos. Paramuthos is the Greek word. Para literally means near. Muthos is the Greek word for speech. So the, the word comfort here in the Greek literally means near speech. Think about that. Is that not a great word for comfort? To get near to someone and to speak to them? Is that not what comfort is? 
What did Jesus do in John chapter 21? He didn't pull Peter aside and chew him out. He drew near to Simon Peter with all the other disciples around. Now, we don't know if, if Jesus just walked up to Peter and talked to him with everybody standing around. I personally think, I don't know, we don't know, I think that they probably went off to the side and Jesus reached out to Simon Peter and spoke to him. He drew near. He near speech. He, drew, he, he, he demonstrated comfort in the life of Peter. Six times, in verses 15 to 17, six times it says, Jesus saith. Jesus didn't, didn't yell at Peter. He didn't point his finger at Peter and bring up the past. He didn't say, Peter, you've, you've accomplished nothing for me. He didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't raise his voice. But he got close and he said to Peter, I want to use you. Are you willing to let me use you. Comfort. Comfort the feeble-minded. Be compassionate. Three words that could change the lives of many, many people. Three simple words that could revolutionize Christianity. Because the Lord was compassionate, I believe Peter was able to accomplish incredible things for God. J.C. Watts Jr. wrote this, Compassion uh, can't be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag. But the price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. The reality is, we often cross paths with people that seem abrupt and are uneasy to like or even get along with. Yet, there is usually a reason for that behavior. You don't know what has happened in their heart, their lives. You don't know why necessarily they're carrying a heavy heart. But if we will take time to understand and listen and show compassion, oftentimes we can break through that rough exterior and inwardly you will find somebody who's desperately wishing that someone will listen and have compassion. Three simple words that changed Peter's life. And it can change many, many lives if we will just understand that God has commanded us to be compassionate. Commandment number eight. Verse 14 again. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. And then number eight, support the weak. 
Number eight, be strong. Be strong. Support the weak. This is not talking about the physically weak, but we can use it as an illustration, can we not? This is definitely referring to the spiritually weak, the immature, the young believers oftentimes, people that have never really matured in their walk with the Lord. When I was in boot camp, I, uh, about, about halfway through boot camp, I ended up getting sick with walking pneumonia. Um, if you've ever had walking pneumonia, you know that most of the time you feel, you feel fine. You just you can't like do anything physical. You just you run out of breath. So anyway, I, I got walking pneumonia and <clears throat> I was doing pretty good through boot camp, uh, but they basically they they were just restricted me from doing anything physical for a few weeks until I got over it. Well, it came time near the end of boot camp for us to make our final our final run. We had to. We had to do a mile and a half. I believe it was a mile and a half or two miles. I don't remember. It's, that, was a, that was another life ago. Um, but uh, we had to make a certain run within a certain time limit in order to graduate. Did You You were in the Air Force, right? Yeah. They, uh, <clears throat> they, they probably let you guys walk. I, I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so we had to, we had to run this, this whatever distance it was within a certain time limit, but... I was still having difficulty breathing uh, uh, under physical exertion. So, so the company commander put me at the front of the front of the company, and we started out. and I, I did pretty good until, you, you know, about a mile in. Uh, we had about a half a mile to go, and I, I started. It started taking its toll on me, as you can imagine, and I started slowly drifting back in the pack if you would, because we all had to run together. It, it, you didn't, it wasn't an individual thing. It was a team effort. Um, so anyway, uh, we started the run. And as, I, as, as my air capacity diminished, I, I fell further and further back. Well, we had about 200 yards to go, and, and I, was, I was done. I, I, I just couldn't breathe. I mean, literally, I was just, I, I was out of breath, couldn't breathe. And by that time, I had gotten all, 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 just about all the way back to the back of the, of the company. And two of the biggest guys in the company, the company commander had put them there and said, <clears throat> if he falls out, grab him. So they, about 200 yards ago, I was done. I was just about ready to literally to pass out. And these two guys, one grabbed me under each arm and drug me, drug me the, the final <laughs> 200 yards. That is exactly what this is talking about. Be strong. Support the weak, but in a spiritual sense. See, my shipmates... put at risk their ability to graduate from boot camp to make sure I cross the finish line. 
And way too often, we as Christians, we, we become so selfish. And we have adopted the philosophy of the world that, hey, it's all about me. That we forget that there are people in our churches, there are Christians that we know uh, oftentimes that not necessarily in our church, but that are struggling. In Galatians chapter 6, we talked about this verse last week, but I wanted to talk about it again this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens. Do you know what that idea of bearing one another's burdens is? Literally taking the burden off of that individual's shoulder and taking the entire burden upon yourself. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For <clears throat> if a man thinketh, think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Support the weak. Support literally means to hold up or to do what those two guys did, literally grab hold and don't let go. In James chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. One of the interesting things about this particular commandment, support the weak, there's, a, there's kind of an understood truth here. And that is, there will be times in your life where you will need someone to support you. Because the, the reality is this, we all cannot be strong all the time. Now we can try it, but you'll end up in the mental hospital, will you not? And there are times where you need people in your life to step up and spiritually be strong for you, to grab you under the arms and say, hey, we can do this together. And to bear the burden that you bear. And then there are times for you to do that, where you are the one delivering the support. I think that, I, I don't know how, those of you that are married, I don't know how you guys do it, but there, there are times, most of the time, I would say probably 99% of the time, when I'm down, my wife is there to support me. And, and then vice versa. That, you know, when she's down, I'm there to support her. But then there's that 1% of the time where we both look at each other and say, what are we going to do? We're both down. <laughs> That's when God brings somebody else in. See, that is, that's what this is talking about. Support the weak. Why? Because, you know, there's going to be a time where you're going to need that support as well. So far, we've talked about eight commandments. Eight out of 22. You can do the math. First one, be an encourager. Number two, be a builder. Number three, be aware. 
Number four, be a safeguard. Five, be at peace. Number six, be a mentor. Number seven, be compassionate. Unfortunately, some Christians are not known for their compassion. There's an unfortunate saying within the realm of Christianity, and that is this. Christianity is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Shame on us. We should be the only army in the world that, that, that shows com, uh, uh, unlimited compassion. Number eight, be strong. We must be willing to put ourselves out there and to be vulnerable. We must be willing to expose ourselves. See, the, 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 the whole point of, of really both of these two commandments, being compassion, compassion and being strong, is the idea that in order to fulfill both of these, we have to put ourselves out there. And we have to make ourselves vulnerable, do we not? Now, who in their right mind likes being vulnerable? Not one of us. But we're commanded to be. Jesus made himself vulnerable many, many times. We need to do that as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.